Hey folks, special treat today. I am with uh, Jason Clark and uh, I'll be putting him on the line here in just a minute, but he did our snake breaking clinic and it turns out he's such a fountain of information about, about snakes, about uh, dogs being bitten by snakes, about snake avoidance training and so on. I thought it'd be an interesting thing to talk to him. I learned a heck of a lot uh, from him just over the last couple of days and and uh, you know I've had I've gone to a snake breaking clinic like five or six times. And I've seen it work physically seen the, it work on wild snakes in Montana uh, with one of my dogs and who, who knows how many times they've encountered snakes that I haven't seen them but I have seen it work so I wanted to get him on on here today and maybe we can all uh, learn something so um, before we uh, go to that just be sure to uh, uh, go and get some uh, ear attenuators from ESBamerica.com and uh, they're the best ear attenu you know, sound attenuators on the market. Protect your ears, please do, so you're not like me and you're deaf in your old age. But um, so anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, and I'm sorry about my voice. So you're going to hear it throughout the interview. But I've got I got a little frog down in there doing something. I don't know what it is, but uh, we'll try to we'll try to make do. So anyway, with that being said, uh, we'll just move on here. folks thank you for uh, listening in on uh, whiskey on the tailgate today I've got uh, I just finished a snake breaking clinic here at my farm and uh, uh, Jason and uh, snakes are us was over here and he's started by doing snake breaking a lot of many years ago and I, I guess I don't know if he was doing it or I talked him into it I don't know we can find out here in a minute but since then he's gotten uh, He's gotten to be the guy in the area that does it, and I'm learning more and more about snakes. And believe it or not, I reached down and picked my first snake up off the ground, and uh, that's all due to Jason. But anyway, Jason, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Randy. Oh, that's great. We, uh, i got to tell you, there's uh, uh, since I've been working with you, um, I have noticed that there's a lot of misinformation out there about snakes in general for and sure. about about snake bites on dogs, which is, of course, what I'm concerned about. Well, me too, but mainly my dogs. And uh, so, uh, you know, we could talk about a little bit of that too, but uh, I really push snake breaking is what we call it when we train our dogs to stay away from snakes. So yeah, um, you do that. And uh, can, you, uh, can you just go over how you do it? I mean, what's your method for all that? Yeah, well, I didn't even know what this was. People just kept asking me about it. And so finally I kind of yeah. looked at what it was, and I found someone out west to train me out in Arizona. And because uh, people do it different ways. And uh, as I was researching it, as the thing I saw was different methods of doing it. And some of them I just didn't like. Some of them I didn't think was effective. And then once I found a method that I thought was really effective, I contacted the guy and uh, got him to teach me to do it. And that that was, cool. uh, you know, many, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, so basically, you know, what we're teaching on Ascent. Um, so we use, uh, we try to use snakes that are native to the southeastern U.S. because that's where we're based. Right. And uh, we use copperheads, cottonmouths, and rattlesnakes. And the venomous snakes are contained in cages, and the cages are, are made of wire, and they're double screened because a snake can bite you through a screen wire. 
And so these are double screened with a gap in the middle. That way, you know, the, a person or a dog can safely touch the cage and not have to worry about getting bit through the cage. Right. Um, but, you know, you can see the snake in the cage, but not, not very well, you know. And so we don't want the dog to associate the cage with the correction. Right. And so that's why we use a control cage, which is just a another snake cage with no snake in it. And it doesn't have the smell of a snake. It's never had a snake in it. And so we kind of go back and forth between these cages and, uh, you know, and then correct the dog when it shows interest. I talked to somebody uh, who who had done this training uh, out of state with someone else, and, and the person was using, um, uh, you know, live venomous snakes as well. But what this other person would do is as soon as the dog got close to the enclosure, close to the snake, they would just, you know, you hit the e-collar, the shock collar, and shock the dog. And, and that's not really teaching the dog anything. You know, you got to make sure the snake is showing interest in the snake. You know, he's getting right. the scent of it or he's seeing it or, you know, and, and, and that's when you do it because you have to make the con the connection in the dog's mind that the, the correction it's getting is because of the snake it's smelling. Right. Even if the dog doesn't know what a snake is, right? It, it's going to smell the snake, get the correction, and because uh, memory is so strongly tied to scent, we're wanting it to make the connection in his brain that this smell is a bad thing. Even though I don't really know what it is, this is a bad thing. So when I smell this again, let, let me just go somewhere else. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I've seen how effective that is. I just one personal anecdote. I was hunting in Montana after going through Jason's course with all my dogs, and Pearl, my little brown Brit, was up ahead of me about 30, 40 yards. And you know how you watch your dog and you're looking around, you're thinking of a million different things when you're bird hunting, walking through the prairie. But but um, I noticed her do just like a little like a little U turn, not a U turn, but a, just kind of a U. She turned left really sharply, went up, turned left again or right again, and and then left again and continued on her way. She essentially stayed on the same path, but she did kind of a U-shaped turn there. And I didn't think anything of it. It was totally out of place for her. And I remember thinking, oh, that was weird. Okay. And I just went on thinking about what I was thinking about, you know, where to go and all that kind of stuff. What's for lunch? <laughs> but um, about 20, 30 steps later, I stepped over a five-foot prairie rattler. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Pearl did exactly what she was supposed to do. Yeah, and, that's awesome. And so uh, I got thinking about it later. I said, would have been nice if she turned around and go, woof. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like in the advanced course, and you got to pay a lot of Yeah, money. right. Yeah, that, that, that's a very expensive course there, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, so I, I stepped right over the top of that. The prayer rattler was moving. wasn't coiled up. So he didn't have any kind of uh, leverage there yeah. to get me. But he was running away, but... Uh, yeah, I stepped right over him, I, and I, and I, uh, you know, did a triple flip and stuck the landing. I got, I got a 10.0 in my, my acrobatics, <laughs> but, but I remember, and my language was colorful. But anyway, uh, I have seen this work, and who knows how many snakes our dogs come across when they're out there. I mean, who knows? I know that they come across a lot of snakes, and uh, you know, I always tell them, look, don't hunt snaky areas. That's what I tell everybody. You know what a snaky area is? Rock outcropping. You know, but they can be anywhere. We know that. But I mean, Yeah, when I'm hunting snakes, I always look at where I think a snake is. Yeah. And then I go the other direction because they're never where you think they're at. 
Right. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching the TV uh, YouTube channel, and there was a snake guru, a woman out west, and I, I believe it was in Idaho. Well, I'm not positive. And she had a guy that owned the YouTube channel was with her, and she was showing him where she goes to find rattlesnakes. And it was right where you'd think. It's like a, it was kind of a hilly area, and uh, it was rock outcropping and kind of a jumble pile of rocks. And she got there, and she was just standing there. She goes, oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. There's one. Yeah. And she was surrounded by snakes. And it was a cold day, and the sun was coming up and warming up the rocks. And so, you know, she wasn't concerned. But, but he was just sitting there, and he'd zoom on his camera down into that. Snake, you know. And she said, yeah, there's a den here. And, um, you know, it's been here for, who knows, could be hundreds of years. But yeah. um, this is where they come to, to breed and, and uh, or have, have chicks or whatever, have babies. So, But you were telling me yesterday, day before yesterday, you were telling me, that some snakes give live birth, some snakes do lay eggs, and some snakes do neither. So it's the neither one I'm thinking about. What is that all about? <laughs> well, so, so viviparous is the term for garter snakes and non-venomous water snakes. So those snakes actually just have their young in their womb, and they give birth. The babies come out live, wiggling around and crawling. As soon as they come out, the mom, they all just kind of come out together. And that type of birth is called viviparous. Well, then you have a different type of birth called oviparous. And oviparous birth is what king snakes and rat snakes do and several other snakes. And that just means that they lay eggs. And they right. lay eggs somewhere, and the eggs have to take a couple months to hatch. Then, you know, the mom doesn't stay in guard them or anything. She lays the eggs and leaves, and they hatch and kind of disperse and go on their way. So that's viviparous and oviparous. Then you have a third way called ovoviviparous. And ovoviviparous is what your copperheads, your cottonmouths, and your rattlesnakes do. So the live aren't really born, the young aren't really born live. They're not really an egg. They kind of come out one at a time and they're encased in an embryonic sac individually. It looks like a clear water balloon these things are in. And so they come out individually, and we've got video of this happening on our YouTube channel if you want to see it. It's called The Three-Way Snakes Give Birth, okay? Our YouTube channel is Snakes Are Us TV, so you can go see that. And so these things come out. out. So snakes... Uh, plurals, S-N-A-K-E-S, then A-R-E-U-S-T-V, Snakes Are Us TV. Um, okay. And so you can see this on the channel on there of, of one given birth. It's really cool to see. And uh, the snakes are encased in the embryonic sac, and then after a few minutes or maybe even a couple hours, they'll just stick their nose through it and kind of break open that clear sac and uh, slowly crawl out and go go on their way. That's it. Huh. So, um, interesting. Wow. Well, what about, uh, so in my area, of course, you know, that's where you live too. So we've got, uh, we've got cotton, cotton mouse. I've got them down on the Creek, I'm sure. And I've got copperheads and I've seen them up near the house. And, um, generally there's a copperhead and it's near my house. I go ahead and kill it. I'm sorry. I'll just do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and of course then we got rat snakes and king snakes. And of course the rat snakes and king snakes, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you told me what they do, and they're, they're not only not harmful, they're beneficial uh, to us. And I relocate them if I find one in the in – the, actually, I won't relocate and, them. And just barn. saying, so are copperheads. 
<laughs> they're beneficial too. I know people yeah. don't want them around, but they're just as yeah. beneficial as king snakes and rat snakes. Yeah, 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 and I and I realize that too. And you told but me I, that too. But before. I understand why you don't want them around your dogs. I understand. That. Well, I yeah, I don't want them around my dogs, but I also don't want them around my wife and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and my baby kids when they come yeah. here. You know, I guess that's. So when they're out, actually, I had one out. I've got a, a one-mile loop around my pasture right here. So um, last year they were, I had the dogs out there running. I run my dogs once a day out there off my mule, and uh, they were kind of interested in the spot. They were staying away, well away, but they were all kind yeah. of looking back. Then I went up there, and there was just one big, beautiful copperhead coiled up. And it was right off the trail, right off the uh, four-wheel trail. So, you know, I let him be. I just kept the dogs out of there because he yeah. Yeah, he was gone by the next time he came around anyway, so he headed out of there. But it was just gorgeous. So no, I don't really kill him. But the rat snakes and the and the and the black the uh, king snakes. So they used to kind of scare me because the king snakes got a pattern on them, you know. Yeah. Not sure what kind of, you know. But then I look for a rattle and I look for slant eyes and all that kind of stuff and, and the pit for the pit vipers and. And you can see all that stuff. You taught me all that. And uh, and I'll take them up and I'll relocate those guys. Uh, if they're in danger, like the dogs, maybe find them or something like that or whatever. I just one year I got a, in fact I got a picture of it. Uh, Ruby, my female, was about three days from delivery, and she was out in the kennel. And we 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 keep them in the house when she's, you know, expecting. But I had her out in the kennel because I just wanted to get her out there, get her some fresh air. And I was I had some hay bale stacked up, and on top of that hay bale was the biggest black rat snake I've ever seen in my life. And she that really? snake was eyeballing those dogs. And the dogs were eyeballing that snake. And Ruby was eyeballing that snake. And Ruby would kill that snake in a minute because the snake was smelling her. I'm yeah. convinced the snake was smelling her puppies. They were she wasn't she didn't have puppies on the ground yet, but they were due like that day. And um of course you know she's putting out all kinds of scent. And I, I'm almost positive that snake was was looking, you know, for a meal, which is I understand all that. So, but yeah, it, it wouldn't have ended well for the snake. I know that. So, well, I went ahead and relocated, uh, yeah. relocated him too. So, but um, it's interesting the ones I've seen up here under my deck and all they're going after bird nests and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, so you, uh, what do you do when somebody calls you about like they've got a bad snake. Give me a, you know, uh, and you, they they don't know what it is. They just don't, they just feel it's bad. Come get it. <laughs> well, mm. the first thing we try to do is, you know, most people don't try to identify a snake. They just decide which venomous snake they think it is, whether it's venomous or not. And right. um, so the first thing we'll do is try to ask them, well, what color is it? You know, and sometimes they can't even tell you what color it is. They just, I don't yeah. know what color is snake. Yeah. And if it's inside the house, of course that needs to be removed. If it's yeah. outside the house, well, that's where it's supposed to be, right. venomous or not. And so we'll try to figure out what kind of snake it is, even if they can just take a photo of it, <clears throat> send us a photo right then while we're on the phone with them, then we can at least identify it. If it's a non-venomous snake, even though they want it gone, if they're willing to listen to me, I try to educate them and let them know, you know, yeah. it's harmless. It's har and when I mean harmless, it's harmless to your pets, your kids, you, you know, and that's a great thing to have leave it. And I'll tell them the same thing for a venomous snake. But if they insist on us removing this, the venomous snake, we will come and do that. But one misconception that we get a lot 
is somebody will call and they'll say, hey, look, you know, I've seen a few snakes on my property, but I've lived here for 20 years and I've never seen a copperhead or I've never seen a rattlesnake. And today I've got one. So this rattlesnake has just kind of moved into this area and we don't have those here. So I need this snake gone. Well, that's a misconception because let's just say you've got a two foot long copperhead, which is an adult. That could easily be a 10 or 15, maybe a 20 year old snake. Copperheads have a small home range of only about 10 acres or so on average. And they will live in that area their entire life. So if you find a two-foot copperhead, that snake has been there for many, many, many years and has done a very good job of never letting you see it until today. And so these snakes are not moving into your area. They've been there. And they've known where your house is and where your barn is and where your neighbor's house is, and they try their best to stay clear of there or when they're near there, try not to be seen. And usually they do a good job of doing that, but sometimes they mess up and you spot them. So, That's you know. very interesting, yeah. Yeah, so, so when we do catch these snakes to relocate them, uh, another misconception that we get is people will call and say, hey, look, you know, if you find somebody who who has a king snake or rat snake and they don't want it, bring it to my barn and turn it loose. You know, I'd love to have it. I've heard and that. That's, yeah. And that's not something we can really do, okay? Um, uh-huh. And here's why. If we go and catch the copperhead you mentioned that you saw in your field, okay, if, if you were to call me and I caught that copperhead and you said, look, I don't want to kill it, I just want to relocate it. Well, I'm going to relocate it to the edge of your field. Okay, Uh kind of away from there. But if I take that copperhead five miles away to a different area where there's other copperheads, this Uh copperhead is probably not going to survive or do very well. Uh Even though it's suitable habitat, even though there's other snakes there just like it, it's probably not going to do very well. These snakes set up their home ranges, and that's where they grow up and they establish their hibernaculum where they spend the winter they establish they know where the food is the water is the hiding places and so when you take that snake i'll say it like this randy if i were to take you and drop you off in a foreign country with zero resources you don't speak the language and every human there refuses to help you in any way you could survive but it'd be very difficult for you to do that the same thing with relocating a snake outside of the range that it's established. Now, if I catch a wow. baby copperhead, I can relocate that much easier because it has an established area, and it'll spend that time, instead of trying to find out where it came from and get back there, it'll spend that time instead trying to establish its own home range. So right. depending on the species, we have to look and see, you know, can we relocate it safely somewhere? If it's in the middle of a busy neighborhood, maybe we can't relocate it. Maybe that needs to come to us and go into captivity to our collection of snakes we use for education. But right. if we can relocate it, we do. But sometimes that's not an option. Huh. So now you are licensed by the state or by the feds? Uh, by the state, um, we so, do some work so, yeah. with the feds as far as people who have, you know, uh, help them with things people have illegally. But um, yeah, we're licensed by the state for both native and exotic snakes. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, real good. Um, so is that range roughly the same for all snakes? No, it's very different. I mean, you know, you've got so timber rattlesnakes, for example, for, for example. 
uh, a, a female timber rattlesnake roughly has a home range of about one square mile. Uh, a male has a home range roughly of about one and a half square miles. Uh -huh. Then you've got eastern indigo snakes, which I think their home range is over 20 miles, you know. And so okay. some, some snakes have huge ranges, and other ones have very small places they live their whole life. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, wow, this is that's so great to talk to an expert. So speaking about talking to an expert, uh, most of the people listening to this. Is there uh, somebody on the serious. phone besides me? Or are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I always learn something. So I'm going to tell the listeners about the, a couple of years ago, we were out here, and, and your daughter, Audrey, was with you, and she handles the, she handles the rat snake, a control snake, you know, for us. Yeah. And so she'll, she'll put the rat snake out, outside of the cage. And uh, there's a lot, after the dogs run through the, the snake breaking, we bring the dog through and, and just, casually let him take a look at the rat snake and see what he does and you know if they avoid the heck out of that rat snake well then we've obviously done our business you know so she's picking the rat snake up and both and i'm just flabbergasted she just walks over and grabs that snake puts it back in the box <laughs> and so at the time i asked her can i do that she said sure and then i asked you about it and you said oh yeah you can do that i couldn't bring myself to do it but but now now i'm over there just picking them up and you know you were showing me how to do it properly and all that kind of stuff so. yeah um, the one way, the big, big, big black snake that we had underneath the deck. And I found this, this snake because I let one of my dogs out to go down the stairs of the deck to go out and go to the bathroom. And she wouldn't get near the stairs. She wouldn't. She'd go run across the deck. And she'd get to the <laughs> stairs and she'd stop. And she'd turn around and run back and say, what in the world? Yeah. And, and, B, and BJ said, I'll bet there's a snake somewhere. So we went down underneath, underneath the steps. Sure enough, there's a big old rat snake there. And uh, he was looking at a bird nest that was underneath there. It was headed to really? Bird nest. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was very, very interesting. I, and I, you know, in the past, of course, I would have killed it, but I went ahead and got a, got a rake, you know, just kind of he wrapped himself around the rake, and I took him out and put him. Actually, I put him over by the pool somewhere, you know. I mean, I wouldn't want to worry about him. But, hey, but, and it's, uh, cool you, it's cool you said that because that's why when we set this course up, we like for the the dog owners to take their own dog through the course. That right. way you can watch your dog. And if later you see your dog do something weird like this, we tell mm -hmm. people maybe watch where you're stepping now. Maybe your dog knows something that's there that you don't see, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. So, um, okay, so I'm out hunting, and uh, uh, through no fault of my own or the dogs, it's been struck by a prairie rattler, which is pretty much the same as a western diamondback and, um, in Montana. Um, what do I do? Well, the the first thing to do is to to get your dog to medical care as soon as possible. You know, yeah. now whether you know if you're able to carry your dog, that'd be good. I mean, some people, if you're going that far, if your dog's heavy, you may not be able to carry your dog. Uh, right. So just you know, um, expeditiously, but you know, slowly walk your dog. You don't have to run out of the woods. You know, go go ahead and get your dog, uh, you know, to a vehicle to where you can transport it. And if you're going to transport it, you know, it, it, go ahead and call the vet. Let them know my dog's been snake bit. We're on the way too, so they can prepare. And hopefully, if you're hunting in an area that you don't know, or even near your house. Hopefully you already kind of have an idea of where you're going to take your dog in case something happens. You know, yes, you mentioned going yes. out to Montana. 
you know, Randy, it's not a bad idea for you to call vets in Montana and ask them, hey, you know, where's a vet that has antivenom if I need it? Where's a hospital that has antivenom if you need it? You know, yeah. and, and so yeah. to have have these things just kind of in the back of your mind already, so you're not yeah. in the middle of an emergency trying to get on Google and search for a vet or a hospital to get you or your dog to. Yeah, um, driving 70 miles an hour down a two track. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and so <laughs> in, in addition to this, you know, some dogs have been on the paw and things like this, but a lot of dogs have been on the, on the muzzle, the face, the neck, the head, and so with that, it's going to come swelling. So removing the collar or harness or whatever you have when you're done, removing that uh, is going to help because there's possibly going to be significant swelling. Um, right. And, of course, you know, keeping the dog, you know, calm and still as best you can is going to help uh, prevent, you know, increased heart rate and, uh, you know, venom spreading uh, more than it should. Yep. Um, and then, you know, if you can, if you can do it safely, get a picture of the snake. Uh, you don't need to catch the snake. You don't need to kill the snake and bring it with you. Uh, get a photo of it. If you can't get a photo of it, and you, can, you know that's fine too. You don't have to have a photo of the snake, but if you can get a photo of it, just just so we we'll know. But so that's basic first aid, which is not much. There's more of what not to do than what. You well, let me ask you this. Let me just interrupt just for a second. Um, so <clears throat> you're going to get into it now in just a minute, but. The, the problem is I want to do something for my dog. I've got to do something for my dog, see? So that, I think, is where the problems lie in what not to do. Well, because, have you ever heard you ever heard the saying, uh, don't just do something, stand there? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of don't just stand there, do something. Don't just right, do something, right. stand there. Well, right. that's what I want to say when it comes to first aid. You know, even for people who are bit, if you go on, on the Internet and you look up these horrific snake bite images, a lot of times those really bad snake bite images that you see, these grotesque wounds, a lot of that yeah. is caused from overzealous first aid, people trying to help but making it worse, uh -huh. you know. And so yeah. there's there's just so much of what you don't want to do because – trying to help your dog, there's a lot of things you can mess up on to make what it's going through in the long run right. Right. bad. Yeah. Right. So let's go through the list of what not to do. Then. Okay, well, don't cut and suck the wound. You know, I always ask people, do you have a snake bite kit? And I ask them, what's in your snake bite kit? You know, they have this uh, little yellow box with a plunger suction device in it. Uh, when that device first came out, people said, well, it may not help, but it won't hurt. Well, now we know it not only doesn't help, it actually can hurt and make things worse. So throw that away. There's not really a snake bite kit that you need other than a set of car keys to get your dog to the vet. That's it. Um, yeah. So, you know, don't cut and suck the wound. That doesn't help. It makes things worse. Don't apply a tourniquet. When you put a tourniquet on, you're cutting off the flow of blood, and you're saying, you know what, we're just going to lose this body part, and we're fine with that. You know, if you get bit, say you get bit, your dog gets bit on the leg, and it's such a bad bite that you absolutely are 100% sure you or your dog are going to die, period, and you cannot get to any kind of medical help. Well, if you put a tourniquet on, it might save your life, but you're probably going to lose that part of your body. But normally, if you can get to medical care within a couple of hours, 
yeah. we don't ever recommend you putting a tourniquet on a snake bite. Okay, that's just, that's not a right. good thing. It does not help. Uh, okay. You're going to have swelling, and so with swelling, most people will say, "Well, I'll put an ice pack on it. That'll help with the swelling." Well, the swelling that comes from a snake bite, an ice pack doesn't do anything for it, and it can actually also make things worse by slowing down the, the, the flow of blood, and that makes the venom more concentrated in that one area, and over time you can have more necrosis, more rotting of the flesh. So ice pack on a snake bite is not a good thing. Um, uh-huh. You know, and, and uh, you know, one thing that we hear all the time, and there's all kind of posts on Facebook, and I even have some veterinarians that swear by it, and they'll say, do this one thing. It won't save your dog's life, but it'll buy time to get to a vet, and that's to give it Benadryl. Uh-huh. And Benadryl is extremely effective against insect bites and stings because those things release histamines, and Benadryl is an antihistamine. The swelling that comes with a bite, is a snake bite, is not from histamines, it's from tissue destruction and the tissue entering the bloodstream. Benadryl is absolutely, completely not effective for venomous snake bites, period. Right. People will tell us all the time, well, my dog got bit and I gave it Benadryl and the next day it was fine. It would have been fine if you didn't give it the Benadryl. <laughs> if it's going to be fine the next day, it's not because you're giving it Benadryl. And... um it is of absolutely no effect. On our website, we even have an article on there written by a veterinarian who is a specialist in snake bite envenomations that describes why Benadryl is not effective. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one thing we hear a lot. It's the uh, DBM. Uh, I'm actually on your website right now looking at uh, you came up with uh, – a couple of PDFs that one of them is for me to look at, and it lists things that uh, you should do, uh, things you should not do, and things that are absolutely no benefit. And, uh, of course, Benadryl we talked about is no benefit. How about corticosteroids? Corticosteroids, cortisone. Yeah, that's that's something that's often given to, you know, both – both dogs and people. Yeah, and that's yeah. not that's no not benefit. something yeah. that uh, that we and, want to uh, do for sure. Well, about uh, antibiotics, give them antibiotics while you're on the way. To well, the you know, people. I mean, your dog's just been bit by a wild animal, you know. So of course, yeah. you want to give antibiotics. Well, at least that's what they right. say. Um, but that's not the case, you know. Getting bit by a non-venomous snake, or getting bit by a getting bit by a venomous snake. The risk of infection from the bite itself of a snake is so extraordinarily low that we that's not something we even really worry about. But you're thinking, well, this snake is eating mice and rats. It has to have a filthy, disgusting mouth. But, you know, our teeth are designed to trap particles of food. That grows bacteria, okay? A snake's yeah. teeth are not designed to trap particles of food. So as far as bacteria we're talking about, a snake's mouth, is much cleaner than a dog's or a person's mouth. Uh, So we don't really worry about infection. Now, if you get bit by a snake and you have an open wound from that bite because of the venom and it's open over a period of time, well, of course, that's an open wound, and all open wounds can get infected. Um, So you don't want to give – 
um, you know, you, you don't want to give antibiotics just because you think it could get infected because as your dog builds up a resistance to the antibiotic and then an infection sets in a week later, now it may be harder to fight that. So only give um, antibiotics when there's a clear need for it, when there's a clear infection start, you know, setting right, up. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, so uh, a lot of uh, aspirin, uh, ibuprofen, that kind of stuff. Yeah, don't give that. I, and ibuprofen specifically is toxic to dogs, and that can affect, you know, their liver. And, you know, the dog's liver and kidneys is already going to be running through the gamut here because of all the tissue destruction that's going on in the dog from the venom. This, this venom is designed to digest the snake's meal, the rat or whatever, from the inside out. Oh, so when a yeah. snake bites a rat and the rat dies, before the snake even swallows it all the way, the venom's in the rat digesting it already. That's the same thing that happens if you get bit on the hand or your dog gets bit on the muzzle. It's destroying tissue, and anti-venom is the only thing that really stops that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know. Um, you know, but, so what I'm hearing, really so far what I've heard is, if I'm out in Montana, my snake and my dog gets bitten by a snake. Of course, my dogs are small enough; I can carry them. I'm going to throw them over my shoulder. I'm going to leave everything else, and I'm going to go to the truck, and I'm going to drive however far it is to the vet, who I got on speed dial on my phone because I knew I was going to be hunting in the area, something like that. Yeah, and and that's 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 a it's such a great thing to to hear you talk about this because most people don't. And then it happens, and they're like, oh, crap, what do I do? And, and, and so not only do you have to figure out what to do, but you're watching your dog sit here and suffer as you're trying to figure out where to go, what to do. You know, so having plans in place ahead of time and kind right. of anticipating what you might encounter is going to help you stay calm and help get your dog to help really, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I do that, too. I, I actually uh... – Wherever, wherever I hunt, I call. I have a couple of local vets, and I go ahead and put them in my phone book, and uh, so that they're available. Of course, whatever my dogs have an issue, it's on Sunday afternoon, so I, yeah, you know, <laughs> I play hard. I mean, it's always Sunday afternoon. Really, nobody ought to hunt on Sunday afternoon because it's usually yeah something bad happens. But so <laughs> so I notice also on your website uh, that you have supplemental. There's a page you've got supplemental information. The veterinary management of pit viper and venomations in the United States. Now I know you didn't write that because there's a lot of big words there. So uh, let's see here. Is this the one that's written? That must be written by that uh, vet you were talking about, the expert. So yeah, National yeah, yeah. Snake bite support. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so this is something I always tell people that if you own a dog, whether you hunt with it, whether you just have a lap dog, if you're on Facebook, go and join this group. The National Veterinary Snake Bite Support Group, and, and basically what it is is if uh, you know you'll, when you join it, you'll see people posting photos of their dogs that have been bitten by a snake. If you go on there and comment, "Oh man, I'm so sorry, I'm praying for your dog," they'll probably ban you, okay? Because you're not allowed to comment. Only people who right. comment on here are the professionals who know how to deal with this. And so what they can do is they can give you advice on what to do and what not to do. And they can also, if your vet's willing, they can work with your vet 
on proper treatment of what to do and what not to do with with your vet specifically treating this bite because you know there's a lot of vets who know what they're doing yeah. there's a lot of vets who don't know what they're doing well, I guess they just don't treat it. You know, they don't ever see yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, so, so it's a really good resource for people to have, uh, just in case they ever need it, and hopefully they never will. Give me that uh, Facebook group again. It's called the National Veterinary uh, uh, Support Group. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get on that. So. Yep. Um, and so this. Uh, <clears throat> Actually, there's a couple of different uh, on your Facebook uh, page. There was there's a page written by uh, Jacqueline H. Burns, uh, DVM, and it talks about treating pit viper envenomations in dogs and cats, the do's and don'ts. And it lists, you know, what you should do, what you should not do, and uh, what's probably not a good idea to do. And everything that everything in the part where it says is don't do it and it's probably not a good idea is stuff I've read about that people do. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So really what she says, and, it, you know, and also this was backed up by a vet a friend of mine that I did on, on my podcast uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Sean Wayman out in uh, Castle Rock, uh, Colorado. And he's a bird dog, he's, uh, a bird dog vet. And uh, he told me exactly the same thing we're talking about right now. So, but uh, she said what to do first, number one, antivenom, period. That's number yeah. one. Of all things, that's the number one thing. Nothing you're going to do. So the other thing is IV, IV fluids uh, for uh, control of patient hydration. Of course, the vet's going to do that. And pain yeah. management, and the vet's going to do that. And blood test monitoring, the vet's going to do that. So there's, that's four items that should be done. And none of those are anything that we can do standing in our field with, a, you know, looking at our dog with a leg swollen up. It, it, we can't do that. So yeah. we have to get that dog to that vet. And, uh you know, some of the places I hunt, I'm an hour or more away from yeah. town and probably an hour and a half to two hours away from a vet. Uh, although most of the towns around where I hunt have vets because they're all uh, ranching towns. But, but um, and they see, they see snake bites all the time. Wouldn't surprise yeah. me if they all have antivenom, you know. But, um, so that is actually a pretty good deal. But, you know, if you're on a hike, you're on a hike back into the woods and you're, you know, really the only thing you can do is put that dog, uh, over your shoulders or, you know, in your bag or whatever and start yeah. walking. Get out of there. Yeah. Get to the vet. That's the exactly vet. right. So, yeah. Now, well, one of my dogs was bitten here. I don't know by what. She came out of the woods. It was during a field trial. She ran in the woods, came back out. Her leg was all swollen up. And I called a local vet here. Uh, I probably got to know him. He's a good friend of mine now. But he said, Randy, he said, uh, uh, bring her in. If she gets here and she's still alive, she'll make it. And I remember yeah. thinking, Man, that's that is, so, but he was true. It was true. It was right. He knew what he was talking about, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I don't know what she got bitten by. It was it was it was an upland situation, so it was probably a copperhead. But but um, so copperheads have the least toxic of venoms. Yeah, their their the venoms can and, be and mild, but but even though you know, it's more mild venom than a rattlesnake, uh, we still do see dogs killed by copperheads, believe it or not. Um, yeah, and we had that one you know, we saw now, through, uh, Saturday. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now a rattlesnake can easily kill a dog quicker than a copperhead could. But the problem with copperhead venom is even if even if the dog survives, even if Randy, if you get bitten, you survive a copperhead bite. 
uh, one thing that, that there's the potential of is seeing long-term nerve damage, you know. And so yeah. the nerve damage is caused by the venom destroying tissue and destro destroying nerve endings and things like that. And, and there's no way to reverse that damage. But the quicker you get antivenom, the quicker the damage is stopped from progressing further. Right. And you told me yesterday, or a day for yesterday, you told me, get the vitamins off your head if you can do it. And uh, that'll, that will also help in decreasing the amount of damage being done. Uh, Randy, you broke up. I lost the first part of that sentence. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. You told me uh, you told me that if if you get venomated, to go ahead and try to get the wound above your head, above your heart. You know, get it over your yeah. head to maybe yeah. decrease you the know, amount of uh, damage. Yeah, yeah. You want to have extreme elevation, uh, if possible, and that can kind of be hard to do if it's your dog this bit. Yeah. You, know, you can't, you know, tell your dog to hold his paw up or hold his head up, you know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, typically if you're bitten uh, on the hand or the foot, we, we do want to have extreme elevation uh, above the heart level. And it's not that we want the venom to flow through your body, but we definitely don't want the venom of pit vipers, which are copperheads, cottonmouths, and rattlesnakes, to be concentrated in one area. So elevating the bite does um, seem to help disperse the venom some, which has been shown to reduce uh, localized damage, and it also can reduce swelling. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. And so then you're, you're actually working for a person that's bitten. <clears throat> you're looking farther down the line. You're looking at trying to keep that damage from being irreversible damage from affecting exactly. you for the rest of your life. So, uh, yeah, and, getting and that thing off the ground, yeah. Yeah, and a snake bite that you survive can easily affect you for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've heard guys talk – you're not going to believe this. I've heard guys talk about taking uh, – shocking the wound with electricity. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, steroids. I give them steroid shot, a Benadryl, then I shock the wound with electricity. You know, very specific about how they do it. He said it works every time. Never have ever lost a dog. So I think what we're finding out is they wouldn't have lost a dog anyway if they hadn't done a lot of stuff. And in fact, they probably <laughs> probably didn't yeah, help the, the dog anyway. You know, given it, given it, the corticosteroids is is not beneficial um, because right, you're like, right. well, it's swelling. You give it steroids, um, but you know, the, the the different toxins in the venom is what's causing the swelling. And corticosteroids are not going to do anything to help that at all. Right. Um, so shocking the wound. That, that's something we hear a lot too. Is you know carry a stun gun with you. If you get bit, you know just put it on there. It's just going to hurt. You know you're already hurt anyway. Just shock it. That'll help <laughs> neutralize the venom. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't, worry, don't worry about the venom. <laughs> electricity can neutralize the venom. Right. However, right. you'd have to use a, such a high voltage, it would neutralize the rest of you as well. So mm -hmm. if you get sh you know, struck by a bolt of lightning that basically vaporizes your tissues and cells, it'll also do that to the venom. So, you know, because yeah. uh, okay, all, all venom is, venom is just protein, basically. Uh -huh. so that's basically what your leg's made up. So you'd have to use an, enough electricity to destroy the venom as you would to destroy your entire leg. You right. know, so a yeah. stun gun is not going to do that. Uh, it, it is not going to help or affect the venom negatively in any way. Yeah.
Well, you got something else to worry about then, not not just being struck by a snake. You know. Yeah. I like to see the bonehead that uses a stun gun on himself. That'd be bad, bad yeah. news. But, so now these venoms, uh, the actual venom. You told me yesterday or day before yesterday that uh, the eastern diamondback, part of what the venom does is it immobilizes the prey. It like uh, does something with their rear end or something where they can't run away. Well, it, it all depends on which venom we're talking about. Now, yesterday yeah. we were talking specifically about eastern diamondback rattlesnakes. Right. Eastern diamondback rattlesnakes down the coast of Georgia, they have cytotoxins in their venom, and that those venoms can act directly on the legs of the prey items and because eastern diamondbacks often prey on cottontail rabbits. And, you know, just because a, a big diamondback bites a rabbit, well, it may take two or three minutes for that rabbit to die, possibly longer. How yeah. far can an injured, scared rabbit run in two, three, four, five minutes? A yeah, long yeah, way. Right. And yeah. and that then this slow snake, by the time it follows that trail, may lose that scent trail. So the snake needs it to die close to where it is. So the cytotoxins and the venom can act very quickly on the legs of the rabbit to stop it from running. And then as the rabbit lays a few feet from the snake, then it dies there and the snake doesn't have very far to go. What means, so that basically means if you get, if you or your dog gets bit by one of the snakes, uh, you know, you may possibly after 20 or 30 minutes, may not even be able to walk back to your vehicle. Oh, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. So that's, that's definitely a possibility. Wow. Wow. That's something. So are all the, uh, so the venom, venomous snakes here on the East coast, well, they're throughout the nation. doesn't matter, but they, uh, they're just, all the venoms are, they've got different formulas to do different things based on the region. Is that about right? Did I say that? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, so you've got, you've got your pit vipers and you've got your lapids. Your pit vipers include all of your rattlesnakes all you know when I say all of your rattlesnakes, every rattlesnake in the U.S. from California to Georgia, everywhere you're at, um, the, the, you know your copperheads, your cottonmouths, your rattlesnakes, all those are pit vipers. Then you have your elapids, which are your coral snakes. You have your Texas coral snake. You have your eastern coral snake, and uh, coral snakes are related to mambas and cobras because they have a different type of venom. So whether you're bitten by a western diamondback in Texas or an eastern diamondback in Georgia, or a copperhead in West Virginia, it's going to be the same anti-venom that you receive for those snakes. The only yeah. one that's different is if you do get bit by a coral snake, because that's a completely different type of venom that does different stuff to you. Okay. Is there only one type of anti-venom? I mean, they have something that can treat that? What, for coral snakes? Yeah, for coral snakes. Yeah, that, that's a completely separate type of antivenom that, that they do have antivenom for. And if you or your dog gets bit by a coral snake, or you think your dog might have been bitten by a coral snake, but you're not sure, get your dog to a vet, even if there's no symptoms, because there may not be any symptoms if a person or a dog gets bit by a coral snake for the first 24 hours. You may not have any symptoms. And right. then if you wait until symptoms appear hours later, it's going to be a really tough time surviving that. But as long as you, if you get bit by a coral snake, you get to medical care, there's an excellent chance of survival. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I've never seen a live coral snake. So um, do we have in this area? 
<laughs> we do. Yeah, you, you do. Um, Sweet. Not as common in your area. The further south you go from where you're located, the more common they are, but they do live and occur in your county. Oh, I'm Oh, yeah. okay. Well, well, okay. Tell you what, give us the name of your uh, your website and um, and also um, any other information you want us so we can get to this um, this this paperwork that I'm looking at here about uh, you know what to do. And of course, one page of the paperwork is for us to read and do this. Do yeah. This, so this. the easiest then, the easiest way to yeah. find this information is go to snakeschool.com. Okay. And if you go to snakeschool.com, it talks about our snake aversion training. It'll also talk about this vaccine that some people sell, the the rattlesnake vaccine or, or venomous snake vaccine for dogs right. yeah. that we do not advocate for. And most of your professional, most of your vets who specialize in snake bite will tell you not to get this for your dog. Correct. Uh, so consult yeah. with your vet about that. But and that's not something that, that we advocate for, but like I said, I'm not a vet. So, um, But if you go to snakeschool.com and you scroll all the way down to the very bottom of the page, you'll see there snake, a, a first aid for dogs. Click right. on that, and it'll take you to all of this information that we're talking about, and you can also download those, those PDF files that you can share with your vet as well. Snakeschool.com. Snakeschool.com, yes. I, I figure we can do that. So we have to say it three times now, or how does that work? Snakeschool.com. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, BR549. Yeah. <laughs> Snakeschool.com. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's everything in a nutshell right there. And uh, do you have anything else you want to add, Jason? I don't think so. I mean, you know, if people are interested in learning more about snakes and snake behavior, because, like you said in the beginning, there's so many myths attached to snakes and snake bite and the venomation and treatment and what's good and what not to do. So we've got a YouTube channel, and what we try to do on there is give people accurate information and not just tell them stuff but explain it to them. And so there's some pretty cool stuff on there that we film with snakes here in the southeastern U.S., and it's a pretty entertaining YouTube channel, but there's a lot on there that you can learn about. And so that is Snakes Are Us TV on YouTube. Snakes Are Us TV, and the R and us are spelled out. That's it. Snakes Are Us TV. And there's no dot, like dot TV. It's a Snakes nope. Are Us TV. Snakes Are Us TV. That's it. Okay, that's great. That is great. Uh, well, that's just awesome. I really, really appreciate talking with you. And uh, maybe I'd, I'd really like to follow up uh, because hopefully I'll get some uh, questions from our listeners and uh we can follow up on this and, and yeah, yeah. And if they have questions, questions let let me know. And if uh, they ask me something I don't know, don't worry. I'll make up something so good we'll never know the difference. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Sound like a navy pilot. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. So, uh, you do. What's your area? Your range of uh, part of the country where you do uh, snake aversion training. So the snake aversion training, most of it we do here in Georgia. Uh, we do offer it in Alabama, South Carolina, and we can also offer it in Florida. And so if you go to snakeschool.com and you don't see a location or a date there that works for you, you can contact us and say, hey, I'm in one of the states that you mentioned, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, or Florida, and I want to talk to you about bringing uh, this to, to your location. And the the cool thing about that. If, if you come to us in Georgia, 
we're going to charge you the same thing to, to to do your dog as if we come to Miami to do your dog. So, you know, we, we try to keep the prices the same uh, for wherever we go. We try not to increase those unless we have to, but uh, normally we don't. So, um, you know, like I said, you know, we, we can we can come to you as long as you're in one of those four states. Yeah, yeah. Wow, man, that's awesome. Well, okay, uh, you know, let's, I just wanted to make sure everybody knew how to get in touch with you, and you can do that through the website. And uh, the snakeschool.com is a great way to do that. And and, um, and I had a really good question in my mind, and I lost it. That's because I'm old. So <laughs> I'll just have to write it down and ask it next time. And so uh, Absolutely. So I, Anytime you want me back, just let me know, Randy. Well, I appreciate it, Jason. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, guys, that about does it for our episode with Jason Clark and our snake breaking um, and snake avoidance and all things snakes here. We're going to come back with Jason later on in the season here and uh, touch base with him again. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I just wanted to remind you that uh, the uh, my YouTube channel, A Bird Hunter's Thoughts, is available to you if you want to go over there and take a look at some of the videos I've made from uh, my hunts over the last two years. And then there's some other videos in there as well. And um, I uh, am 160 subscribers short of uh, 1,000 subscribers, which is what I need. And so if you want to go over there and subscribe, I'd appreciate it. Also, I really appreciate my sponsors for this. Uh, you t uh, the uh, <laughs> excuse me podcast. Uh, of course, we just changed their name. Now it's Whiskey on the Tailgate, and I think that's just an awesome name. I'm getting a lot of good positive feedback on that. So, but I appreciate my sponsors for that, and uh, those of you that are supporting me financially. I've also partnered with Patreon, and down in the minutes or the uh, below the podcast you can see the link there to go to patreon if you want to go ahead and sign up there and support me financially just any amount would be uh, awesome actually so i think we had a real good discussion with with jason if you can think of any kind of questions you have also through the podcast through uh, spotify here you can go ahead and send me uh, a uh, message and we can go ahead and, and i'll and next time i have him on i'll go ahead and ask him more questions about that but uh, until that time, try to be the man your dog thinks you are, and I'll see you in church on Sunday.